I'm going to read out of the book of Romans. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there, or you can look on the screen as we continue this message series on the journey. Life is a journey. It is not a parking lot. Life is success, but it only comes through struggle. And anybody that tells you you can have success in life without going through struggles, they're lying to you. Life gives us hope, but it produces, uh, it produces something. It causes us to reflect and look inward so we can look upward. You know, I often think about when you want knowledge, you look around. You look to the left, you look to the right, but when you want wisdom, you need to look up. And that's why Romans 12 and 1 on this journey we're going to talk about today is a journey of surrender. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How many know God wants the living, not the dead? The Bible says the dead cannot praise the Lord, only the living. Can we praise the Lord? We're alive in this church today. We're not dead. We're swinging more than chandeliers. I'm the gift that keeps on giving, by the way. Anyway, some of you get that later. But I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. I love the next part. Don't be conformed to the world and the patterns of it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God says, you've already have my perfect will at your disposal. All you need to do is surrender on your journey called life. When you surrender your will for my will, I will show you great and mighty things you know not. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're going to trust you to overwhelm us with your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. Now turn to your neighbor before you sit down and say, you really look handsome or pretty, whatever the case may be. Pat, you are pretty and handsome. I just want you to know that. I think about our lives today. Now, if you're in this room today and you're alive and breathing, you're on a journey. You have relationships with, with people. You also have a relationship with God. In this journey called life, you're going to have struggles. I love what the scripture said this morning because it says, present your body a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to the Lord. You being holy and acceptable is all about your presentation. In other words, you're not qualifying by what you do. You're qualifying by who you receive. Once you receive the Lord, you've qualified to be holy and acceptable. Did you hear what I said this morning? That is a matter of fact, not my opinion. When you receive the Lord into your heart, you become holy and acceptable. By, not by what you do, not by what you wear, not by what you say or what you don't say. By you receiving the Lord, God says you present your body a living sacrifice. Now you're holy and you're acceptable before me. And God says, you can prove in this holy and acceptability because I've established the holiness. I've established the acceptability, not you, not your works. You're not saved by works, but now you're saved to do the work of the Lord. And as a worker of the Lord, you can have the perfect will of God in your life. But it all comes in a place of surrender. God tells Israel in the passage in our series about it's time to change. It's time to turn north. I want to change something in you because I'm going to take you on a journey. But in this journey, they brought a lot of baggage. Even though they, they brought out silver and gold, I'm not talking about that baggage. I'm talking about a mindset. They brought out a bad mindset, a mindset of slavery. It's been embedded in them for 400 years. So they came out of Egypt's bondage still bound up. 
by the slaves pits uh, or the mud pits and the slavery of Egypt. They still came out with a poverty mentality. So God took them around the mountain for 40 years when it, in essence, could have only taken 14 days to get to the promised land. But he had to get that out of them and show them his perfect will for their life. But it came with struggle. It came with trial. I love what King David said in Psalms 40, verse 8. David was a man whose hands were bloody. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man that was not intimidated by anyone. No giant, no Philistine, nobody intimidated King David. And God said, this is a man after my own heart. And God said through David's writing, I delight to do your will, O God. And David was a man after God's own heart, but yet a bloody man, a man that had issues, a man that had problems. We know his problems. We know his issues, but nevertheless, a man after God's own heart. Jesus said in John 4 and 34, my meat means purpose, means substance, is to do the will of him who has sent me. Do you know our relationship with the Lord is determined by this one factor, this gateway to the kingdom of God, surrendering our will for God's will? It's the gateway to the kingdom of God. Jesus also said in Matthew 7, 21, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God, except he that does the will of my Father. Matthew 12, verse 50 says, whosoever does the will of my Father. He's the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. The point is when we're not doing God's will, we're not in the family of God. You can join the church, you can sing in the choir, you can give money, but if you're not doing God's will, you're not in that family of God. Again, Matthew 7, 21, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God, except he that takes this journey called surrender. That's why when you take this journey and you surrender, you're crucifying this God of self. How many of you have problems with the God of self? Let me see your hand. The rest of you have a problem with lying. The God of self wants what it wants. How many of you know we want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it? We like our stuff the way that we want it. But when you surrender on this journey, you're surrendering your will for God's will. It's a, it's a surrendering of the flesh. It crucifies the God of flesh. There's within the heart of all of us in this room this battle that's raging, a war of wills, your will versus God's will. And your cross and my cross in this life, it, it intercedes and intersects where God's will and our will come and collide together. That's why the Bible says crucify your will every day. You have to present your body every day, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, not by what you do, but who you have received, which is your reasonable service. And it, excuse me, it proves that you can have the perfect, acceptable will of Almighty God. Do you know God hates stuff? How many of you know God hates some stuff? You say, well, God is a God of love. How can he hate stuff? Do you know Psalms 97.10 says, you who love the Lord, you're to hate the evil things? I don't know about you, but that sounds a little intolerant to me. The voting booths are going to be opening in a couple of months, and you have an opportunity as a believer, not a cultural issue, not a political issue, but a Bible issue as a believer to vote against evil things. God says in Proverbs 6, there's six things that I hate. He doesn't say I dislike them. He says I hate them. And one of them is hands that shed innocent blood. Any candidate that would endorse the murder of the unborn, God says I hate hands that shed innocent blood. It's very evident 
God is pro-life here. He also says, I hate those who cause discord among the brethren. That means he hates men and women who do it in Jesus' name, who call somebody and they talk about somebody and they backbite one another and they, and they try to accuse somebody. There are eyewitnesses of that. God says, I hate people who cause discord. I hate hands that shed innocent blood. I hate people who quickly run to evil. Can't you see those who love God have to have an intolerance of evil? We're not here to go along and get along, friends. We are salt and we are light in a generation that is corrupt and dark, and it is the will of God to prevail in this society. You know, few of us can ever be great athletes. I know some of you think you're all that, but you're not that good at athletics, trust me. Few of us can be great singers. Many of you think you sing good. You don't. It's a joyful noise to the Lord, not your neighbor. Few of us can not be great athletes or great singers or great musicians, but we can do something far greater than all those things. We can take this journey and surrender our will for God's will. Do you know God has no plan of redemption for the rebel? That means when we start doing our own thing and not God's thing, that means Jesus is not the prominent place in our life. Again, the Bible says not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit this magnificent kingdom of God, except he that does the will of the Father. There's a story in the New Testament about this rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God. I can see this rich young ruler, he's a part of the prominent people. The disciples up until that point have been ministering to the common men, the common people around the Sea of Galilee. They weren't ministering to those in Jerusalem, those who were of affluence. They were around that Sea of Galilee. That's why if you take that trip to Israel with us, we'll spend a few days by the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did most of his ministry, and then we'll take a journey up to Jerusalem and spend the rest of our time there. It's really a magnificent pilgrimage. But at that point in time, the disciples had only ministered to those who were kind of the day-to-day, the, 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 the people that that worked and and needed things. They desperately needed a savior and they desperately needed healing. And here comes this rich young ruler. Not only is he rich, but he's young and he has influence. I am assuring you the disciples said, now we're gonna take our message and spread it even further. I love what Jesus said when this man came and wanted to be a part of the disciple group. He wanted to be a part of Jesus and and what was going on at the time. Jesus said something interesting to him. He told him to go sell all you have and give it away to the poor. I think about that because many people think that that passage of Scripture, that Jesus wants his people broke, busted, and disgusted. Jesus did not drive that man out of the kingdom because he was rich. That man failed to enter into the kingdom because he refused to take the journey and surrender his will for God's will. God wants us to surrender in this journey called life, whatever he wants for our lives, because he had riches that would blow that young man's mind where moths couldn't come in and corrode it and thieves couldn't come in and steal it. He had riches, the treasures of heaven that would have blew his mind back if he would have just surrendered what he thought was wealthy to what the kingdom of God is, true wealth, true power, true anointing, true goodness, true mercy, the good things of the kingdom of God. Now think about that. 
He refused. That's why it's so important to, to surrender. Jesus lived for one reason. That was to do the will of his father. Can't you see him at the age of 13? He celebrates his bar mitzvah. That's every Jewish boy when they come of age. It's a bar mitzvah. When a Jewish girl comes of age, it's called a, a bat mitzvah. When a Hispanic comes, it's called a quinceanera. Odele. I've been to many. But this is a bar mitzvah. Jewish is be Jesus has become a young man. He's 13. He just celebrates this massive party. It goes on for days, and now he's lost. His mother is searching for him frantically. She finally finds him, and when she finds him, she hollers at him, where have you been? Jesus' response is the same that our response should be. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Translation, I live to take this journey and surrender to the will of him who has sent me. Can you see him kneeling at the curb of Jacob's well and the disciples come and say, Master, eat. There's no response. They ask him a second time, Master, come and eat. Again, there's no response. And finally he says, I have need to eat that you know not of. My meat, my will, my purpose is to do the will of him who has sent me. See him kneeling in the shadows of Gethsemane moments before the cross. His feet are at the door still of the house of death. Sweat like drops of blood are dripping down the sacred brow of the Savior. The sins of the world have now been placed upon the shoulders of the only begotten Son of God. Your sin and my sin have been placed upon him and he looks to his father in heaven and it's recorded in the new testament father if it is possible let this cup pass from me god if it's possible i want to take a different route on my journey let this cup pass from me but it wasn't possible he must press through there was a silence there was no response why because from the foundations of the world the lamb of god was destined to die from genesis 3 all the way back from the plan of redemption when the seed of the woman being jesus would crush the head of the serpent and recognizing it wasn't possible that he must press through even to the excruciating journey of golgotha and the cross he screamed it out, not my will, but thine be done. And when he said it, he took a journey and the father went with him and he crushed Satan in his kingdom forever and forever. And he gave the keys to you and to me. Hallelujah. Our God is good like that. A surrendered will was on the word on the lips of the church fathers as they were led to the chopping blocks as they were crucified upside down as they were boiled alive with hot oil crucified like I said upside down burned alive at the stake the Bible says they love not their lives unto the death when I'm talking about on this journey it's the least we can do but friends it's the most we can do this journey of surrender it's the least we can do but it's the most we can do Nothing takes the place of a journey called surrender. Many people, they try to take the journey, and instead of surrendering, they'll give God a few little drops here, a few little drops here. They'll try to buy the goodwill of God. Many people often do that. Saul tried to do that, and God said, your obedience is greater than a sacrifice. Your obedience to me, your journey of surrender is greater than any sacrifice you'll ever make. That's why delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When you know to do the will of God and you don't surrender to that, God says, that's not who I designed you to be. Or when you know to do what's right and you continue to pray, you don't have to pray about it any longer. God says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Why? Because God's will always takes you to your highest destiny in life. Do you want to achieve it? Then you got to take a journey and you got to surrender and you got to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. 
Now listen, because can you see the Virgin Mary? She's talking to an angel in the New Testament about being the mother of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that is one of the most fascinating conversations I've imagined in all of my life. This is a common woman, a normal woman, born of flesh and blood, and she's having a conversation with an archangel, Gabriel. That's amazing to me. And now you got to get out of your mind that these angels are cute, cuddly, fat little babies with halo and pampers on. If you really saw an angel, you would need the pampers, trust me. All over yourself, real quick. People say, I saw angels. I'm like, what do they look like? They're like, they're cute, they're cuddly. I'm like, you ain't seen God's angels. God's angels are warring angels. When God shows up on the scene, you'll know it. And she's talking to Gabriel about being the mother of the Son of God. And I think about that conversation because she could have said, like many of us would say, hey, I'm, not, I'm unknown of the future. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I don't really want that. She could have said no to that. And if she would have said no to it because she had a right to choose like we do today, you would have never heard about Mary. You certainly wouldn't have seen her being worshipped across the coast and around the world. But what did she do? She said, be it unto me according to your word. Translation, she took a journey and she surrendered her will for God's will. She said, God, your will be done. There's no birth into the kingdom of God without surrendering on this journey called life for God's will versus your will. Because God's will always leads you to your divine destiny. Do you want to achieve something? Do you want to accomplish something? Do you want to be a part of the beautiful tapestry of heaven and the gifts of God to operate in your life? Then you got to take a journey and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Now listen, because God will not force you to do his will. He'll not force a man or a woman to accomplish his will. But do you know how good God is? He does what I call review options. Review options. Israel, I'm going to take you out of bondage, out of 430 years of slavery. And if, and if you want to go back, I'm going to make it impossible because I'm going to drop the water back in so you can't go back. But I'm going to take you around the mountain until that self-centered life gets out of you, that poverty mentality gets out of you, that old complaining spirit gets out of you, and you're going to go around that mountain. It's like that song, just a little walk with thee, just a little walk with thee. You walk around that mountain until your will dies and his will comes alive. God's not going to force you, but he has a positions of reviewing options. Can I tell you how that works in the Bible? Can you see Jonah? Have you read that story of Jonah in the Old Testament? Jonah's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's a man that hears God, speaks on behalf of God. He is a prophet of God. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell people about me. So what does Jonah do? You would think he would obey God. He does everything except obey God. He gets a ticket on the love boat going the exact opposite way God told him to go. I love the story of Jonah because everything in that book obeys God. The winds, the waves, the pagan sailors, they all obey God except for the man of God. Isn't that interesting? Everything that God created obeys except the free moral agent called man or woman. And so God says, hey, you don't want to listen to me? You don't want to do what I tell you to do? Shamu, would you go pick him up? God had Shamu come and swallow up that preacher as sure as I'm standing here. He's in the middle of Shamu's belly. And God tells Jonah, Jonah, let's review your options. 
Didn't I tell you to go to Nineveh and preach that revival meeting? Yes, I think I did. Now you go and you say yes to my perfect will. I'll cause Shamu to get seasick and spew you out right on the shore. But if you say no, Shamu just had lunch. And you're coming out the other end of Shamu. You know how long it takes Jonah to obey? Three verses. He said, oh God, please send me to Nineveh. I'm on my way. He could have said no, however, and he could have came out the other side. Then there's this man. His name is Saul. He's now converted to Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. God knocked him off his horse, struck him blind. You know why he struck him blind? I believe because Paul had so much vision. Paul was so intelligent. Paul was so brilliant that God had to knock his natural senses of brilliance off him and let him see something greater than the noonday sun. God struck him blind and said, Paul, you're aggressive. You're brilliant. You're just my type of guy to get the gospel across the earth. It's my perfect will for you to preach that gospel. You're not going to do it from a penthouse on the Riviera. You're certainly not going to do it in the temple high and lifted up in Jerusalem. You're going to do it from a dark disease filled prison with rats and all types of vermin around you. God said, either that, Paul, or you get a tin cup and a white cane and get down on Main Street because you're blind as a bat. You know what Paul said? Who art thou, Lord, and what would you have me to do? Translation, I love to do thy will. Is it possible, however, and as we get ready to close our time, is it possible for somebody to, to love God and be saved and not be in God's will? Yes. Many of you right now, you love the Lord, but you're not doing what God wants you to do. Why? Because God has a perfect plan and a perfect will for you. But if you don't submit your body unto the Lord each and every day, it cannot be accomplished for your life. God's will for your life, it's three-dimensional. That's why it said in our text, you can prove. God says, this is not a mystery. You can prove what is the good. You can prove what is the perfect, and you can prove what is the acceptable will of God that I have for your life. Young people, you can prove to weigh to honor God and serve God in school, at college, at home, at work. You can prove mom, dad, grandparents. You can prove God and know you can be in the perfect will of God. How is that possible? Because many people, they love God, but they don't fulfill their destiny. So they just kind of sit there and they come to church and they just kind of put God in a box and they, they live life from service to service, church to church and message to message instead of letting their life be that message. God says, present yourself to me. But so often we do the opposite because you say, oh, Joey, man, I got too many mistakes. I can't present my divorce to the Lord. God says, present it. Joey, I can't present my scars to the Lord. God says, present it. Joey, I've got too many habits and hangups. I've got addictions, Joey. God says, you present your body unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. It didn't say perfect sacrifice because none of us are perfect. But it says a living sacrifice. And when you present it to God, God says, now you're holy. Now you're acceptable. And you can know the perfect will of God. How do you do it? First, through his word. God will never tell you anything that goes outside his word. I read an article recently of a major, major movement in the body of Christ where the literally the, the the lead pastor if you will was telling his followers that the old testament portions of the old testament i read this portions of the old testament should never be read and you shouldn't look at them and i thought oh my god we're turning into a cult here from cover to cover it's all the word of god or it's none the word of god the old testament concealed is the new testament revealed 
Some of the greatest manifestations of God's miracle power is found in the Old Testament. I want you to understand, you can know the will of God through the word of God. They're synonymous, they're one and the same. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that I have. If I ask anything according to his will, he's hearing me. If I start asking things that are not in his will, he's, he's not gonna answer them because he knows what's best for you. He's not going to give you those things when you're asking for certain things and he knows down the road it's going to be a detriment to you. Are your family? You can't handle that thing. And God says, no, no, you're not, you're, you can't go there yet. I've got the perfect plan for you. Find me in the word. Trust that promise. Lean on that everlasting arm. Know that I can have the perfect will of God. Get that word inside your heart. It's a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto my path. You know the word of God and the will of God. They're one and the same. And secondly, through circumstances. If I'm a believer and I love the Lord and I've yielded on this journey, then I have to realize that my tough times won't last. I have to let the winds of adversity blow me to my divine destiny. So often we as believers, when we go through trials or adversity, we start holding on and then binding up, letting go, loosing and binding, and we start really getting uptight and anxious. And the scriptures say, don't be anxious for anything. Don't hold on to things that you haven't designed to carry. God says, I'll take care of you. Your circumstances may not be good right now, but that's a season. A season of suffering is not a lifetime. And some of you have turned a season into a lifetime of suffering. And God says, stop the suffering and stop the mentality of it. You don't have to live in that season for long. All you have to do is trust me that the winds of adversity will take you to your divine destiny. You know the will of God and the word of God and through your circumstances. You say, well, I don't believe that. How about Joseph? Who put Joseph from the pit to the prison, to the palace? God did. Orchestrated him all the way through. But when we get into a pit, oh God, I'm in a pit, what God, I'm in prison. Where are you? God, I'm in the palace now. I forget about you. And you see why you don't go to the palace first? Because you would forget what it was like to be in that pit. You'd forget what it's like to be in that prison. God wants you to remember, but he doesn't want you to live there. I want you to think about that because here's the third one. Peace. When you get directed to do something, a relationship, a job, a business, I can't tell you how many times throughout the years of ministry being in Stockton where people come after the fact and say, pray, I'm leaving town for a new job. Pray, I find another church. I'm like, have you even asked God if you're to leave this church? You're looking for manna from man when God says, I'll supply all of your needs. You're you asking the wrong questions, friend. You need to say, God, where do you want me and my family? Let the peace of God guide your hearts through relationships, through seasonal changes, through difficulty, through adversity, and through prosperity. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The greatest weapon of supernatural warfare is what I call a position of peace. When you live in peace, you receive God's power more and more. And here's the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. God's perfect will is what he created you to do. The gifts, the talents is what Jennifer talked about. But God's permissive will is what he will allow you to do. So often when we get into this arena, we think everything that's permissible, God must ordained it and signed on to it. And that couldn't be further from the truth. 
God didn't sign on to your bad choices. God is not the author of confusion, even though you might be confused. And so many times we, we just miss this as believers. We think everything that happens is God's will. I sat with ministers some time ago and they were from a, a different understanding than I have. And they're sitting around the table and they're talking about their congregants of how this person got cancer and this person this and this and this. And they were saying in effect that all of that is God's will. And you know, I was the younger, but I just listened and I'm thinking, that's not God's will. God's will is not you to have cancer. That's, that's not God's will for your life. That's the devil that's put that upon you. So often we say, well, does God have two wills? Yes. There's the bulema of God and the phalema of God. The bulema of God is the wish of God. That's where the apostle Peter said, it's the will of God, the wish of God, that all men would come to repentance. And because of that, people say, oh, it's God's will. Everybody's gonna come to know the Lord. Will everybody come to the Lord? No. You've gotta choose this day whom you serve. You've gotta choose the Lord as you choose the restaurant to go to, or you choose the spouse you're going to marry. You gotta choose the Lord. You've gotta make him choice, first choice, never last chance. You gotta choose the Lord. It's the wish of God that men and women would come to repentance. Will everybody come to repentance? Unfortunately not. But God's wish is that they would. But then there's the phalema of God. That's the sovereignty of God. That means it's not gonna change no matter if you bind it, loose it, pray against it, pray for it. There's nothing gonna change it. What's the sovereignty of God? That's, that's God's redemption plan through Jesus, the only door. You cannot get redemption through another door. Jesus says, I am the door. That means Buddha is not the door. Muhammad is not the door. Joseph Smith or the Virgin Mary is not the door. Only Jesus Christ, the one and only. He's the only begotten son. He is the door and no man comes to the Father unless Christ brings him in. He's the door. That's sovereign. You're not going to change it. I don't care what they teach. I don't care what people say. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, but you got to accept Jesus. God knows we're married in our hearts. No, get married. We're married in our hearts. No, you're not. Get married. God knows our hearts. Yeah, he also knows your sin. <laughs> I'm going to stop meddling. But the sovereignty of God, that's Israel. That's the nation of Israel. God's sovereign will that that covenant promise with Abraham would come through his son Isaac and come through his son Jacob. And that seed would be the Jewish nation. That seed would give us the redemption work of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of every prophet, King David, all the prophets of Israel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. It would give us Jesus Christ, the one and only. That's sovereign. That land of Israel is not a political issue. It's not an issue to be driven by a Republican party or a Democratic party. It's not an issue that is going to be driven by the political climate of the day. That's a Bible issue. We stand for those people because God says you pray for them, you believe with them, you're connected with them. That's old covenant and new covenant. They come together and complement one another. That's what God says is sovereign. It's not going to change. So I assure you when the last words are spoken and the dust settles in the Middle East, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will remain there forever because God promised them that land. But here's the heresy. I only have a few more minutes. Everything that bad that happens, 
We say, oh, it's God's will. Oh, it's, that's God. That's God. what God has done to me. Come on. That's not true. Sometimes we need to investigate our lives to see what's happening in our lives because of the choices that we're making. And people say, well, Joey, and I have this often. People tell me, some of you have asked me, Joey, is everything that happens, isn't that God's will? No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Do you know God is omnipotent, which means he's all-knowing? That means that nothing happens outside his knowledge. But he's also omnipotent, which simply means in theology, he's all-powerful. Nothing happens because he's all-powerful outside his permissive will. God will allow you to kill yourself and hurt yourself if that's what you choose to do. That's a choice that people make mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. You have the ability to choose to get up each day and put a smile on your face or get up each day and look like your face is a reprint from the book of Lamentations. You get the choice every day. That's why I choose to get up with a smile. I don't choose to get handsome. I just am. But I choose to get up and put a smile on my face.